Welcome to season eight. This is your host, Patrick Fenor. I'm thrilled to welcome you to Franchise Findings, where we dive deep into the world of franchising. Join us as we dissect the top franchise businesses across various industries, bringing you invaluable insights and expert interviews with franchisees, as well as industry leaders. Hey, you have Patrick Fendaro here, co-founder at Vetted Biz and Visa Franchise. Excited to have on Eric Helgeson, as well as his business partner, Stephen Pruce. They're both the co-founders and partners at Paymore. They're going to tell us all about the world of electronics resales and um, their story and why they decided to go into franchising. But before I speak too much for them, Eric, Stephen, how did you come up with the concept and why did you switch focus to the electronics space? Hey, Patrick, uh, thanks for having us. So uh, I'll jump in uh, on that question. So we started off together, Eric and I, even though we've only been franchising for about four years now, uh, we started our journey together 20 years ago, back in 2004. Uh, a friend introduced us and uh, we actually got into the secondhand industry at that point in time. Uh, we opened a retail store in Long Island, New York. I was not just focused on electronics. Um, in fact, electronics wasn't really a driver product that we were looking to get into. What we, was it mostly? Like what we, was the... Anything we could take in and make a profit. So anything right. from collectibles to, to jewelry, to, to clothing. So was, would you call, this was like a pawn shop for someone that's it, that's ignorant of the industry? Right. We don't like the P word, the pawn shop, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was similar to a pawn shop, but we didn't do, we didn't do any collateral um, or anything of that nature. It was really... We were taking items in and mostly on consignment. So we ran that business for about five years. Uh, we did a heck of a lot wrong, more wrong than we did right, but we learned a lot. And the idea from Paymore really stemmed towards the end of that first five-year stint. Electronics at that point in time, it was 2010. It was starting to switch from a, from a need to a necessity for most people. Uh, it was our most voluminous product. It was our most profitable product. When Eric tells you a little bit about himself, uh, he's got a ba heavy background in technology and coding and software. So it was a natural fit there. And we wanted to really focus on electronics and also create optionality. There's really not any optionality in the electronics world outside of what we're doing. Uh, there wasn't then and there really isn't now. So really your choices are to go to Apple and buy a $3,000 phone or maybe go to Best Buy and get a gift card and buy something new off their shelves. So we wanted to give a pre-owned optionality, um, you know, to, to really the, the, the greater public. I can relate to that as like, not like a huge connoisseur of like getting the latest Apple phone. Like I'm fine paying like a fraction of the cost and, and, and most uh, people are once they're educated and, and they realize they can do that. Right. So, you know, that was part of it. The other part of it was, and going back to the, to the pawn shop, the secondhand industry is, is highly stigmatized. Right. I mean, I, I, Eric and I grew up in middle-class homes in Long Island. And if there was a, a comfortable, fair secondhand store, especially for electronics or gaming back at that point in time, I think my family would have been there every week, almost every day, yeah. right? Now, I know my uncle was always going to uh, all different types of estate sales. And I, I don't know if it's a thing on Long Island, but I would always hear him talking about that. Sure, sure. Yeah, we went we went through a few of those uh, back in the day when we had that secondhand store. But we really wanted to change and really disrupt and really blow up the secondhand industry. We wanted to kind of bring it to the forefront, make it comfortable, clean, friendly stores. You get a fair deal. Eric and I always joke that we want a store where a soccer mom would feel comfortable coming in with her kids and a bag full of electronics, right? So we took those two principles and we repermutated the business as Paymore in 2011. So we went to a new store in Long Island, New York, Massapequa, that's actually still our corporate store today. Uh, and we were off and running. And I guess the last part of that was, uh, 
you know, there was really no software for the secondhand industry as well. So, you know, it was done in the shadows, you know, where the record keeping was, was iffy at best. So Eric took it on his, uh, on his shoulders and, and really built our pay more POS system, which is really what drives a lot of our success today. And it's the moat from where we're looking into that, you know, if anyone does want to come into this industry, we have this 15 year uh, proprietary product that and that, that you know teaches our franchisees and allows our stores to run pretty efficiently. So that was 2011. Why we got into franchising? Fast forward five, six years, we picked our heads up in about 2016, 17. We had lines out the door. Uh, we're in a location now that we certainly wouldn't approve in our in our franchise today. It's it's more of a delocation. We were doing millions of dollars of of sales every single year, and we didn't do a stitch of marketing. We knew that we unlocked the code. We knew that we had something. Our customer base was very diverse, you know, younger, older, all different ages, all different, you know, capital demographics as far as income goes. So we looked at each other and we knew that we had to expand. I have a deep background in commercial real estate as well in New York City. And I looked at Eric and said, you know, let's let's open more stores. But we knew this really needed to be in every community, urban, suburban, otherwise. So at that point in time, we researched and um you know, we looked into franchising, even though Eric and I are, are pretty aggressive in business, we're conservative by nature. So we took a couple of years to put together the right team. In 2020, we started franchising and it's really been like a rocket ship since then. Uh, we have 181 stores under development in our system. Uh, we're in 19 states and probably by the end of next year with the LOIs and, you know, the new prospects that we have in, we'll, we'll probably be at 250 to 300 stores by the end of next year and, and probably 30 plus states. So it's, it's hmm. been exciting growth the last few years for sure. And was this a side hustle for, for both of you or at what point did one of you jump like full in on pay more? I've been in the secondhand industry since Stephen mentioned, and uh, Stephen was always there with me, uh, some, sometimes more as a, as a consultant or more as uh, rolling the sleeves up. Uh, so it was always in our blood to do this, and, and it was never a real side hustle. It was always a passion. We knew that, that we had to get it to a level that we could scale it, and, and we finally were able to do that. And I again, I don't know all that much about the space, but I died into some businesses like I think it's black black market maybe or some French startup that's doing uh, electronic resales like how does that online resale market compare to the the retail and what's the need for the retail on this our business is unique in the sense that we're multi-channel we sell in retail we sell online we sell in secondhand markets uh, we were able to create custom data feeds and import our products across any e-commerce uh, site that that wants us uh, we, we can get our products on there so e-commerce e sales are, are a huge part of our business uh, we love to talk with our franchisees and they say oh we came in on monday we were making money all night all weekend and we came in and it was there we're shipping packages out so we're the type of business that makes money while you're sleeping so the e-commerce e side of things is big for us but the retail is just as unique because there's no organized clean space you get a dependable pre-owned product at a great price with a warranty where you can still come in and feel that and shop as a traditional shopper and retail will never die. In fact, we're seeing it tick up as we continue to expand our stores. And what's the breakdown in terms of um, in-store versus out-of-store purchases? Right now we're hovering around 70% e-commerce, about 30% okay. retail. Solid. And what are the economics look like? Like someone comes in one of the stores, sells their iPhone, whatever, 13, like how much does pay more keep? What do you sell to the customer? Like, could you just like use some rough like economics of your business model? 
it's it's tough to give you that because we're a sure. portfolio buying business, right? So we're buying an iPhone, we're buying uh, which may be cracked in last year's model or something that is uh, four years ago, a game system that has a broken CD drive. We're buy we're buying that. We're buying a digital camera. We're buying you know we're not just out there to buy the best product. We're there to help the customer too. We want them we want to help them declutter, reduce uh, their electronic waste, get paid for it, put some money back in their pocket. So across all of those different products, we have varying uh, margins, if you will. And is there any minimum or will you sometimes talk to the customer and be like, hey, look, you can recycle this, but it, we're, you're honestly, we can't sell this at the moment or we're barely going to get anything. Exactly. So uh, one of the strong points of our business is having that customer interaction and developing that relationship. And that's where we differ from these, the, like the site you mentioned or, or a mail-in website or something like that. Uh, if, if a customer comes in with something and we can't help them, uh, we, we would recycle it free of charge for them. So they're still you know, doing their part for the environment. It wasn't a waste of time. They come in, they can meet us. That often turns into a repeat interaction there because once they come into our store and they start to see uh, you know, how we operate and our staff and our beautiful build outs and how convenient it is, they feel safe. They feel like this is a place where they can come back at a great deal on something. So we'll recycle it free of charge for them. No problem. Yeah. And that becomes viral where Eric, Steven don't have to spend as much money or their franchisees on, on marketing. Correct. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can definitely see that from a consumer perspective. I don't want to like mail a phone and then wait like a week to say, oh, actually, you're not going to get that much money for it. It's just easier to go in person with like a lot of different products after cleaning and that's, the house. That's really it. That's really it. And one of the things that we've learned over this journey is that, you know, some, some people don't even understand what model they have. They have a better model than, than what they're putting in or, or they're, they're confused on maybe the generation of a, of a specific device. So it's, it's easier to do that right there at the counter and explain to them and show them, you know, that this is the product, this is what it's worth, this is what we can give you, we're paying you cash today, we're not sending a check out, you don't have to mail it, as you said, it's going to get lost in the mail. So we're able to keep the most honest transaction possible right there, and then wipe that device in front of them. So they're not worrying that, well, maybe I didn't wipe it when I sent it off to XYZ Electronics somewhere in a different state that I've never heard about just because they had a fancy price. So we, we do the, the customer justice right there. We, we help them and they love it. What's harder in terms of like the marketplace? Is it more um, finding buyers or, or the sellers of the products or does it just matter day, month? We, we have a constant flow. Uh, I mean, the, the appetite for uh, used electronics is insatiable and you know we're, we're moving to an international focus as well. So we, we, we're just getting started and, and we can we can buy and sell whatever it is quickly. And for franchisees, do they start with some like initial inventory to, you know, they open up and they already have the shelves stocked or how does that work? Great question. So we, we joke about this, but after 30 days, they're, they're, they're packed full of stuff if they follow our system. Uh, but before that, just so people aren't walking into an empty store, uh, we, we do provide a, a kind of a startup inventory. And that really comes from the previous franchisee that just opened. So we, we're sourcing the, the devices from our other stores to get to them. And that's just a minimal kit. How are the franchisees interacting and how do you guys foster that, that collaboration? We have an internal private chat server that we've developed and everyone's a part of that, whether that's staff, franchisees, managers, uh, new stores that signed on but haven't have yet to build yet. And we're all in there uh, speaking. It's broken down to different channels, education, ongoing experiences. Our directors of support are in there at all times. We're following everyone's journey. We're, we're helping staff in real time. We're helping franchisees in real time. So we've brought them all together in one place. And, and that's where the magic happens. 
What's the infrastructure look like? Because I know you have franchisees that are op operating numerous locations. So it's not an owner operator model where it's just a guy in a store. What does the infrastructure look like in the first year and then, you know, five years in with uh, multiple stores? We're, we're highly scalable. So Stephen, did you want to take that? Yeah, sure. So we look at things differently. We like to consider ourselves the kind of the new age franchisor. Um, you know, we want people to be working in the store. We don't want to be a you know, a 10th brand in their portfolio. So either, you know, somebody and, and it's unique, right? Because we're one of one. We are the industry. So it's not going from a, a pizza franchise to a hamburger franchise where there's a lot of carryover from one food to the next. So we really require somebody from ownership or, or management in their structure being in the store for the first several months. Now, we've seen that these are highly scalable. The POS system and software is is all web-based. You could really manage your stores from your house or your office, but we want them to be in the store to learn that business. And even though they may be able to pull themselves out in two to three months, because it is highly scalable and quickly scalable, you know, we want them to be in there and, and really have some skin in the game and understand. They can certainly hire a, a managing a director or a GM, you know, going forward, but we want them to be in the store, you know, from, from day one. And also, you know, we run our stores off of three to four people. So our, our flagship store is about 1,600 square feet. So, you know, it, it, it can run without a manager there. But again, we want them to go ahead and, and get that, uh, that exposure, at least in the first few months, so they can go on and open their second and third and fourth store. What are we talking about in terms of the all-in investment? You know, there really isn't a lot to our stores, uh, and we've worked on getting our stores fully modular. Uh, so there's not a lot of links in the chain. Again, going back to food where you have, you know, 14 different contractors and, and 100 different SKUs that you got to fill. It's one contractor. He comes in and he puts all of the cabinetry in place. Outside of that, it's just some desks and some computers. So we've gotten the cost down, let's say, for our average 1,600 square foot flagship store. It's about 125000 Okay, that's pretty solid. I imagine your years in the commercial real estate space have helped with that. Yeah, we've I, I oversee the the commercial real estate. Um, you know, we also partnered with a national company to help. Uh, we don't mandate our franchisees to use uh, the group that we have, and that's again going back to kind of the way that we look at things, different from a, an archaic or a traditional franchisor, where you know you have to use certain people, you have to be a certain way. Obviously, we want a certain standard quality, but we want to keep our, our build out and our investment low cost and you know a lot of times when you're putting separate links in the chain it elongates the process and makes it more expensive and we don't want to do that you know we want to keep our costs down uh we want to keep it nimble and and pass that on to the franchisee but that being said going back to kind of the real estate uh we don't need to be in in AAA locations which is a really really important point because it's it's kind of counterintuitive to most traditional retail where you have to be on the corner next to Chipotle and the Apple store, you know, paying $80, $100 a foot in rent. We're a destination point. So we, we thrive in B centers and our sales would be the same in that A location as it, as it is in a B location because people are, are finding us and, and, and going to our store as a destination. So the landlord probably likes you a lot. Yeah, listen, we don't have any capital equipment. You know, we don't have any grilling. We don't have any venting. We don't need special HVAC. We don't need special electric. All we need is a B center and a vanilla box. And I've yet to find, and I speak to landlords all day, every day, you know, now helping out negotiating the leases. I, I haven't found a landlord nationwide that is not willing to at least provide us with that vanilla box. And the landlord gets their rent in, in three months because it takes us two to three months to open. So the franchisee is making money quicker. The landlord is getting their, their, their rent quicker. You know, it, it works for everybody. Are there any special permits that you need or does it vary state by state? 
it, it goes from municipality to, to town. Um, but, you know, we've opened stores without any interior permitting uh, because really it's just a vanilla box and we're putting up a non-demising wall. Outside of that, we don't even need special electric. So it's really just painting and, and maybe some ceiling tiles and some flooring. You know, permitting is, you may have it in, in some more restrictive towns, maybe some exterior signage. But again, it's, it's, it's a very easy lift compared to traditional retail. And then, I mean, any special, I guess, permit or license for selling secondhand goods or electronic goods or no? You would need just a secondhand dealer's license. So uh, not to be confused with a, with a porn license. Uh, I mean, they're, they're separate, you know, uh, different states and different counties have, have different laws with that, but they're, it's not a porn license. Okay. And it's pretty straightforward process. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's right. It's pretty easy. It could take a week or two to be approved. Uh, some of the states that we're operating in, they do it online and you get it the next day. It's, it's <laughs> very basic. So. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of your, the franchisees that are coming over from the food space with like a hood and all, all different types of permits are excited to you. So oh, yeah. 70% of our franchisees have come from food. And for food, I mean, you're talking about 120 all in. I mean, they're probably used to 500K, a million dollar investment. It seems like the average unit volume is like pretty similar or even more for you guys, brand. Is the operating profit similar, like in the 10 to 20% space? Or yeah, that, what do you see for your industry? So, or I mean, more? you said it right on, the, you know, head on the nail is that, uh, you know, they could open up five or six of these and, and do, you know, the same sales as one of their restaurants, right? And you know, we believe in quality of life also, even though Eric and I work 200 hours a week, you know, we always wanted, we're family men and we always wanted to have a concept and a business that allows people quality of life. So our store hours, as opposed to food again, you know, is, is a rather of a light lift. It's you know, typically our stores are open 10 to seven Monday through Friday and 11 to four on Saturday. And that's it. I think when you think about our business, you know, traditional retailers uh, and operators, they really have to kind of shift the way that you're, you're thinking about how you make money in this business, because, you know, you make money while the lights are off, where if you're serving sandwiches, it's, you know, the, the, the lights have to be on for you to make money. Our biggest days are, are Saturday and Sunday when we're closed, when people are online shopping, because, you know, 70% of our, our revenue is derived from that uh, e-commerce. Yeah. So, I mean, the 10 to seven or the, the Saturday, it's like, there's some purchases happening, but it's a lot of collections and then e-commerce is happening around the clock, if I understand correctly. Right. So those those are operating hours for people to come in and trade in and also shop, but the sales are coming in online. I mean, all day, every day, every hour. I mean, we have a notification go off. We we have to turn it off because it just keeps annoying you every, every, every 15 minutes, every seven minutes, a new sale comes in. It's uh, the new franchisees love that in the beginning, uh, but they'll, they'll silence it after a while. <laughs> yeah, it's... I imagine too, like, well, I'd imagine the break even happens a lot faster than some of these other concepts, especially that have like a long build out period where they can get open fast and, and start making money fast and then start recouping their initial capital investment. Yeah, and that's, that's a key point. Um, and that's kind of illustrated by the upsizing of our initial franchisees. And we're, we're very proud of this number that over 80% of our franchisees that have joined our system have either upsized or grabbed more open territories hmm. uh, within six months of, of them starting in our system. So it's a unique concept where it is one of one. So, you know, someone may not come in and say, you know what, I want all of Texas. But, you know, once they have their stores operating and, and they see those qualities, that we just mentioned before, you know, typically they come back to the table and you know want to expand. So we like to, you know, think that we have uh, some pretty impressive metrics and 
just a different way of, of, of doing business than, you know, the traditional and, and older retail and, and franchisors that are out there. I know you've touched on it a bit in the last 20 minutes, but what are you looking for in a, a franchisee? Yeah, great question. And, and our mindset has kind of progressed, you know, over the, over the years, right? But, um, you know, we want, you know, and it may sound corny, we want good people, right? So we, we want people that we enjoy working with, you know, that we, uh, you know, don't mind to, to have dinner with, you know, every time we see them. <laughs> um, and that's a, that's a true and honest way that, that we've looked at things. We've said no to a lot of people. Um, everyone that we have, and we have several a day now, these, uh, you know, pre-discovery day calls, most of them are qualified. Most of them have a bank account, but, you, you know, we look beyond that. Um, and, you know, you can call any of our franchisees and, and really see the quality of people that we have. But beyond that, you know, we what we've seen uh, really, um, you know, rise to the top are, you know, one of, of two and, and hopefully both is that either they uh, have a structure or a team around them that they're coming in with a partner uh, you know, maybe a balancing partner like Eric and I, you know, I, I handle the business side of things. Eric ha handles the operation side of things and it, and it just balances perfectly. You know, if, if they have that uh, coming into it, you know, we feel a lot more comfortable, you know, bringing them to the next step. And then also somebody who has scaled something before. I know that's a general statement, but uh, typically it's somebody who's been in franchising uh, that has had, you know, 50 different sub shops or 100 different auto shops and have been able to scale. But it's not only you know franchising or you know different businesses. It's also we have a lot of people coming out of corporate America that have had a you know a high-paying corporate job and in, in maybe a tech field or something similar, and they built teams. So they've they've built and operated you know a, a ten a twenty-person team uh, and have seen success there. So it's really you know somebody who's who's scaled uh, before and 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 coming in with. Uh, a semblance of a structure, how they're able to, you know, quickly expand, uh, you know, into story number two and number three. Yeah. From all that we've studied in the most successful franchise systems, it, it seems like usually the franchisees were already successful before and they, you know, turned it up a notch, but they already had some level of success. And whether it was scaling a team or a monetary, they're generally entering into the system are already pretty accomplished. What are your guys like core values or I don't, I don't know for you individually or you, you two or, or the company, like, are there are certain traits that you really, you know, want to see in people to enjoy the, those dinners and enjoy those times you're going to spend together with the franchisees over the next 10 plus years? Yeah, I, I think it, it really comes down to just, as Stephen mentioned, being being a good person and that to quantify that, that's really just, just having the respect, em empathy, uh, wanting to help people, uh, not really coming into this business as a porn shop type, you know, gunslinging mentality. You know, we're, we're, we're looking to give great deals on these products that we're purchasing and, you know, build something in the community. We're not, we're not looking to stand up there at the front desk and, and take advantage of people. So, uh, you know, we can, we usually spot that right away. And that's, that's really how we, we filter people out and we want to make sure that, that they're coming off for the right reasons. Yeah. That's part of disrupting the secondhand industry as a whole is that, the, you know, it, it, when you're sitting in front of somebody in, in the counter, you're going to, you're going to feel uh, how that person reacts towards you or how that person interacts. And, you know, we really pride ourselves on the repeat customer rate, uh, which is another thing we're very proud of. The average secondhand store repeat customer rate, and this includes porn shops, is in the single digits. Uh, we're 10xing that. You know, a store have been open six months or more. You know, we have well over a 70% repeat customer rate. So that's part of the disruption uh, that once they go through the experience of our secondhand store, 
which we believe is the, is the highest level of, of kind of a secondhand execution, uh, that they're a customer. So that's part of the education. And that's why everywhere we put one of these stores, you know, within the first year, we become the highest grossing secondhand store in that area just because of the execution and the way that we run it and the people that are behind the counter, the people that we bring in trustworthy and, and they're going to handle the, uh, the customer the right way. Yeah, it makes total sense. Empathy, respect of if the owner is leading the charge and with those core values, it's going to go down to the employees and then obviously to the to the customers as well. Correct. Do you have like your competitors, are they just like the independent secondhand stores or is there anyone doing this, I guess, through like a corporate model? There's no organized fashion the way that we're doing it. No, yeah. uh, not not the way that we're pioneering on the tech side, and the data side and, and, and our experience and our, and our corporate staff. Uh, we have a great staff of directors here that have combined experience of over 30 years. These guys and girls here in the office know just about everything about anything electronic wise. So uh, all that put together, no, I don't, I don't see the competition. As Eric likes to say, we're a technology and data company. We just happen yeah. to sell electronics and a retail outfit. So you know, no one's leading the charge uh, through technology like we are in a, in a formed, uh, regimented franchise process. And it seems like, yeah, you, you mentioned that moat with the software, but now with, you know, 250 plus locations opening up in the next couple of years, like that data further becomes a competitive moat and being able to probably adjust prices and how you, I guess, go about your, your business. That's right. I mean, every new store that comes online is just pumping more data into this feed. Every staff member that comes on and, and you know, clicks a mouse or, or hits a keystroke, you know, that's, that's adding value to us. So uh, as we continue to grow, uh, that, that proprietary data set continues to grow and become more uh, valuable inside our company. Can you think of anything that we didn't touch on that would be of interest to prospective franchisees? Yeah, I think we're we're kind of just getting started. I mean, we're we're implementing. You know, we've we've perfected what we've done as far as kind of the, the walk-in traffic, but there's there's so many other things that we're putting into the system without forgetting our, our kind of core value and our core service line. But you know, we're we're opening up uh, you know our, our B2B uh, channels as well, which is the next progression of our business. You know, helping out businesses and and churches and schools and entities, you know, find a safe and fair solution for their IT or, or you know, excess technology. We have a stat that, that uh, in the U.S. there's about $700 billion of unused electronics out there and that the average household has about $6,500 of unused or just, you know, kind of stagnant electronics around the house. So we're really educating the public, you know, one store at a time. And these these podcasts are great, you know, speaking to uh, influential and, and talented people like yourself to get the word out there that, you know, there are, there is a service that, you know, we can help you monetize or, you know, cleanly wipe or just keep your, you know, electronics out of a landfill with our recycling program. So it's really just about our education, about our product and our service. And I have no doubt that uh, we'll have uh, feet on the ground and, and stores in, in all 50 states over the next few years. Yeah, I look forward to visiting one of the Miami locations. Any expected date of opening down here in Miami-Dade? Yeah, so uh, we're just signing two leases, uh, one in Miami-Dade and one in Broward. Um, and we should have uh, several more uh, right behind that. Uh, we also have one open in uh, Green Acres in, in Palm Beach as well. Well, definitely I'll keep that on my radar as Miami Beach, as much as the city strives for sustainability and all these, you know, buzzwords, they don't, it's like super difficult to recycle electronics and, you know, just to get all my electronics that I'm not using recycled. And if I get some money back, you know, that's a plus. 
What's the best way for people to get in contact with you guys? They can visit our website, which is uh, www.paymore.com. They can come right on there, hit the contact button, or uh, they can reach out to our uh, franchising partners at Francemark, which is francemark.com. Perfect. Really appreciate having you guys on. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Steven. Thanks for having us, Patrick. Thanks, Patrick. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. You can leave us a review. If you enjoyed the podcast episode, if you hated the podcast episode, let us know what you thought as well as what future episodes you'd like to hear. Feel free also to drop me a line at patrick at vettedbiz.com and subscribe please to our YouTube channel, Business and Franchise Opportunities by Vetted Biz. This has been Franchise Findings Podcast. Thanks for listening.